Hi and welcome. I'm your host, Maida, and this is the Catalyst Club podcast, a show where I sit down with catalysts of change who have been there, done that, and even gotten the souvenir t-shirt. Our topics focus in the communication layer of the tech stack, where software, infrastructure, and services come together to deliver outstanding CX and digital employee experience. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Catalyst Club podcast. I'm Maida, your host, and with me today, I have Taylor Wilkerson from Genesis. And I know, I know I said no vendors were going to be in the space, but I think once you listen to this episode and see what he has to say, you understand why we brought him in and, and why we made an exception to this role. Taylor, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you all having me on. I will do my best not to talk about vendors too much. And I typically don't. I'll try to keep it pretty generic, but I'm so excited to be on here. So appreciate y'all inviting me and having me on. Excited to have you. So with the conversations that we had getting ready for this podcast episode, I know you have a little daughter that you're chasing around the house when you're home. And then when you're not really focused on helping clients, you're all things motorsports. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I think your CV is quite interesting and I would love to share that with our listeners today. Yeah, absolutely can. And you know, you're right. I have a 19 or 20 month old daughter and it's amazing to see the changes from 12 months to 18 months and growing. And she just follows me around and luckily she's napping right now. So it's working out too well. And then, you know, outside of work, I live in Speedway near the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I'm constantly going to races there or vice versa. We have local tracks around here. It's just something I grew up on. But, you know, from a background perspective, I'm out of a small town in Indiana. I graduated with roughly 65 kids in high school, went to a small school for college and wanted to focus in athletic communications, basically. And I worked in the Senate. I worked at the University of Pittsburgh and their athletic department had the ability to go and live overseas. Then I ended up actually moving to Vermont for two years and working in athletic communications, where I basically, with another gentleman and then another graduate assistant at that point, I went to full-time in grad school for athletic leadership or basically to become like an athletic director. And then I also wrote articles, press releases. I made videos. I managed social media. I built out programs and guides and everything. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun, but I was working about 80 to 120 hours a week. My brother worked in tech and you know, my wife now at the time was, you know, not wanting to move too far away from Indiana. So I was looking at technology companies and I had a couple of offers and interactive intelligence at that time is where I went to be. Happened to be in marketing and basically ended up being a contact center agent. So I was an outbound BDR doing about 90 to 120 calls a day and using software. And when you talk about the biggest struggle that agents have is that agent experience, I went through it myself. You know, I had, you know, a CRM. That wasn't integrated with our contact center solution. And then separately, I had a UC platform that I had to take advantage of. And then I had a third chat standalone platform that I used. And we don't do that as a BDR today, but you know, I went through that experience and I understand how terrible it is. And that got me interested in the technical side of things. So I ended up going through our associates program from a solution consultant perspective, was in the field for about two, two and a half years, managed a team. And now today I support a team of technical resources that support and enable our partners. So I live inside of you know, contact center day in, day out and have been for the last six and a half years. Yeah. See, I told you guys, I wasn't lying. He's an exception to the rule. And here is why he's been in the trenches and now he's, he's helping the trenches, you know, make a better time for themselves. So I love it. I'm going to dive right in. Where does somebody start? What would you say are the fundamental tools when it comes to contact center? If somebody's trying to to start from the you know from scratch or wipe what they have and and, and start over, you know, 
my biggest thing is, and in, in when I talk to organizations, I talk to and look at how other contact center operates is to understand what you're trying to accomplish, build a framework or a plan around that and set key objectives that you can hit. Don't set objectives, you know, ideally to say, you know, that are unrealistic. And that's probably the biggest thing, you know, that I've ran into is organizations have these unrealistic expectations of turnaround or changes or what they're building in such a tight time span that they're always frustrated that they can't hit it. So, you know, my biggest things when looking at where to build, especially from a context and a perspective are understanding what you're trying to accomplish. And that goes into, we can go deeper there, like understanding what your purpose and goal is for that specific team or as a contact center holistically, understanding what tools are going to make it available and easy for your agents and vice versa. A good agent experience leads to a good customer experience in most situations. At the same time, understand who your customer is. You know, what area do they live in? Who are you marketing towards? Who are your typical callers and the profiles associated with them? And how do they want to speak with you? What are they looking to accomplish? Why are the reasons or the intents that they reach out to you? You need to fully understand that. Make a plan associated with it. And as I talked about, have those types of goals that are incremental and that you continuously build on. And the biggest piece with that for me is you have to continuously have checks in place. That's the reason behind data. And that's why you have to have clean data. You have to make everything data-driven decisions and you have to have those checks in place to consistently look at and understand what's happening. Because if you set and build, for example, you know, I think self-service and AI is one of the bigger conversation points today. And it's great if you, you know, implement and install it, but if you don't set in the ability to continuously update and improve that, you know, that self-service IVR, that self-service bot or that self-service, you know, whatever you do with it six months from now is going to be outdated because your customers are talking to you or your incumbents or whomever are reaching out to you are looking for different outcomes when they come in. Now, in terms of setting that up, in your experience, do most companies have that thought process when they come to you guys to start doing that? Or do they typically need some kind of handholding? And who would be in charge of doing that handholding? You know, what is that relationship like with the vendors that they're exploring as they're doing their dual diligence and, and figuring out who they're going to hire? I think it's a mixture, honestly, from a vendor perspective. It's it's really a mixture where, you know, organizations take advantage of relationships with consultants or, you know, trusted advisors or organizations that they've seen success from and have data-driven results to help guide them through this path. Because one of the biggest struggles of going through a transformation can be internal struggles or disagreements or not having a clear path or outline to where you're going. You know, if you're a smaller organization, it's easier because there's less processes to go through. And when you get larger, you need to have buy-in across the board and you need to have a clear path and ensure that it, you know, appropriately impacts all of the organization that's going to. So I think it's a mix of things. You know, oftentimes, as I talked about, organizations come in with that trusted advisor, with that consultant, or internally, they build a team out. They build a team of internal resources that they say, hey, these are our leaders that are going to guide us through. And I think each deal has some type of what you know you can call a champion, somebody that knows what that outcome is. They're going to continue driving towards it, and they're going to find ways to get across the obstacles because they truly believe that whatever they're doing is going to impact their organization in such a positive way that they're going to push for it. So I think that's one. Two is you know, when the organizations come in, they don't have that. You know, it, it, it's a struggle where, you know, as a vendor, is it going to be us? And my team's job is to educate. 
That's part of it. You know, if anybody ever comes in and just demos a platform to you, it's not a positive experience across the board because everybody has features and functionalities. You know, what vendors should do in my eyes and, and, you know, what I try to do or my team tries to do is understand who are, you know, the organization we're working with is, understand what their outcomes associated are and deliver and showcase the best ways possible to do that. You know, a quick example of this is in the demo. You know, beforehand, I love to go in and experience what a customer experiences. So if I'm with a retail company, I will actually go in and buy stuff. In 2020, I needed, you know, gutter guards on my house and had a company I was working with. And I actually went through the process and bought gutter guards. And I used that experience in the demonstration because I could understand what it was to be a customer and relate to them 100% to that. And what that allowed me to do is understand where the gaps were and the struggles were and make recommendations and best practices and things like that. So vendors do that to a degree, but also at the same time, it's not the whole entire job for it. You know, but you know, as a solution consultant or a manager, my team does try their best to educate, but at the same time, the customer is going to be right to a degree at times too. You know, I can't push back 100% and say, "Hey, look, you know, the best way to resolve a situation is you have a significant issue with you know, wait time, you know, when you look at the FTEs that you need from a staffing perspective and you're understaffed according to the forecast by 15 or 18 people, we can make some recommendations around, you know, let's get set up callbacks, let's set up self-service, but you're having similar outcomes. It shows a staffing issue and we can provide that information. But the kicker associated with that is the customer has to be willing to take that feedback, look at it, decide if it makes sense for them and execute on it if it does. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like if you can get buy-in from the team and have that one champion really pushing things to make progress, it does make everyone's life a lot easier. So that's for sure. So in terms of Contact Center, what are some fundamental tools that we're, we're looking at? You talked about AI. Is that something that you must have to have now in the world of today or are there tools that you should start with and build off of as you continue to optimize your contact center? Yeah, I think AI is natural. You know, it's the buzzword in the industry. It has been for a while. And, you know, it's what chatbots were probably two or three years ago. You know, for me personally, I think the fundamentals you have to have are, I don't mean to hit on this, but a plan again in place. Like you have to have the right resources together that understand the outcomes you're looking for. Without that, you can buy the best technology in the world and it's not going to be successful. Two is you have to have appropriately trained resources. You know, once again, a training program, an onboarding program, understanding and explaining how to use those tools and resources appropriately are just as fundamental in getting, you know, not a return on investment, but getting quick impact and success and putting people in positions to succeed and grow. That's just as fundamental because the people in the contact center are just as critical as a good contact center solution. You know, you can buy a lesser contact center platform and have extremely high quality, high trained, you know, high touch agents that will give you a positive experience. You can't have extremely poor contact center agents. And I don't mean poor from their perspective. I mean, poor of not trained, struggling, frustrated, don't have the tools in front of them to succeed. 
you know, so for me, the framework, the correct resources, and then vice versa from an actual tool perspective, anything that you utilize across the board, you have to have an integrated approach to, and you have to have an ideal customer journey. So if you're looking to, you know, have a CRM with an IVR and digital channels, all of that needs to be integrated. It needs to have a similar messaging across the board. It needs to have data-driven decisions behind it that impact everything. But, you know, fundamentals for a contact center, you know, I, I don't think the human touch or the ability to talk to humans are going to go away. You know, I don't think self-service is going to slow down because it's awesome to be able to go on a website and just like, for example, recently bought flowers for somebody to congratulate them for getting engaged. And I did it for a work colleague, wanted to expense that out. And I forgot to get the receipt. I went on the chat on the website and said, Hey, look, I'm just looking to get my receipt. Oh, great. Can you verify your email? Great. Was this the location you were going to? Yeah. Had my receipt emailed to me and it literally took me 45 seconds. So self-service is going to keep growing. The biggest piece or like fundamental behind that is understanding your clean data and making sure your data is continuously impacting those pieces from the IVR perspective, from, you know, your agent tools, from your self-service to ensure that it's done appropriately. And then the other kicker that I think is at a minimum is security and redundancy. You have to be prepared for situations to happen. You know, if you are in a contact center that's in person and your fire alarm goes off, what do you do? Your carrier goes down. If, you know, you're in a situation where your agents are at home, how do you test to make sure that they have the appropriate bandwidth? You have to have plans in place from a security, your redundancy and network perspective to ensure when those situations happen, because they do for everybody. It doesn't matter how much redundancy or how much you build into it, like it's going to happen. You know, you brought up a good point there in terms of having on-prem versus remote contact center people. It kind of ties back to the episode we had with Sinead, where she talks about having the data and being able to have her entire contact center be remote right now and foreseeable future. Is there any difference of the tools that contact centers need to invest in when it's on-prem versus being on the cloud? There is. I think you're going to see a lot of on-prem solutions as, hey, look, here's the positives with them. Depreciated costs. We have them in place already. We've spent significant amount of money to get redundancy natively built, but, and they do what we want today. Maybe we're seeing incremental growth. Maybe we're seeing positive growth. We have the integrations already done. Like it's comfortable. And for some organizations from a security perspective, there needs to be some type of opportunity to manage infrastructure to a degree. And there are platforms and contact center solutions out there that allow you to do that in cloud today. But with Prem, how do you innovate? You know, how do you get new feature sets? You know, what happens when, you know, one data center goes down and you have to do a manual cutover? You know, how long does it take to implement changes internally? There's a lot of, you know, not to mention the costs associated with managing a data center if it's on your own site, procuring the hardware, making sure you get the appropriate licenses. All of that starts to add up significantly. And then you have to have resources managing things that, are not super, like they're impactful, don't get me wrong, to customers, but they're not the impact or the positive impact they could be having to the business holistically. So then from a cloud perspective, look at it, people would argue there's less redundancy. And I think that can be true with some cloud solutions, you know, because you don't have that manual touch, but there are cloud platforms out there from a context and a perspective that allow you to build, you know, redundancy in carriers that allow you to build failover paths that allow you to separate out the services today and what's deemed microservices 
and allow for that continuous, you know, type of redundancy that you're looking for. And even in some situations, failover regions is the last, you know, gasp effort. At the same time, you can do much quicker upgrades. You can do in a continuous perspective, you can just adopt it in a much easier way. I helped one customer, for example, who had a three to four week training period to onboard agents because they had multiple systems go into one platform connect with an AS400 middleware system or an AS400 green screen system with a middleware. And that simplified everything because it eliminated two to three different vendors into one. And then that in turn, not only improved the agent experience and the customer experience, but also improved the impact they could have on hiring because the training and onboarding went from three weeks down to one week in the same impact. So there's a lot of different things from a cloud perspective and, and scalability. I mean, you talked about earlier, you know, one of the previous people that were on this show. I imagine you can go and ask that individual, hey, what impact did a cloud solution have when 2020 hit and you needed to quickly, you know, migrate and change the approach that you're having? I had customers on-prem that had to go and procure laptops and had to check bandwidths and didn't have the network set up for it. And we're VPN, like making sure that their pipes were set up appropriately for traffic. And it took them three, four or five weeks. And then I had customers that had switched to a cloud-based solution and thanked us and came to us because all they needed was to make sure their network was set up appropriately, clearly have a computer with internet connection, check the bandwidth and requirements and everything, and have a headset with you know WebRTC or Softphone or some type of telephone or, or connection. And they were good to go and their business never was impacted. So I think that's the prem versus cloud conversation for me in a nutshell. And I think there's a lot of things that point towards if, if you're in prem today, there may be some situations where you have to such maybe there's, you know, Fed ramp issues or there's specific recording or some type of privacy laws, things like that. Like that's a different conversation. But if you're in prim today because you're scared to make the jump, I think you're going to miss out on things. And, and one of those is the ability to differentiate your experience from not only a customer perspective, but an agent perspective, and then vice versa from an administration management perspective too. Because the simplicity of having that in the cloud, especially for platforms that have all in one or limited the number of systems that you have just all around makes it a simpler pathway for organizations. So based off of what we were discussing just now, all these things that you can do with the cloud and additional things like scalability and all that stuff, you did mention a while back at this point about having that human touch and what that means for the customer experience as a whole. Do you think with all the tools that are coming out and the automation capabilities that are coming out, we might lose that? Or people who are working contact centers might have, you know, a pushback to taking on new tools because they fear that that could be something that could happen. What would you say about that? Yes and no. Yes, because I think we're going to see more adoption of self-service. It just makes sense. And when I, when we're talking about self-service like AIs, but I think the fear of it replacing it has came back full circle because I don't think today AI can resolve everything. Not saying it won't in the future, but it can do a ton of stuff for us that's positive. And what it allows us to do from that personal touch perspective, that human perspective and having an actual contact center agent is specialize and focus them on the more impactful calls. So if you're calling in for something simple, such as you're calling a bank to get their hours of operation, you don't need to talk to a contact center agent. That contact center agent doesn't need to waste their time on it. But if you're calling in to make a change to an address, 
that's for an address that's not even existing and you need to explain the situation that something's happening in your personal life, you can go through that IVR still. You can set it up so it still has that personal touch. So it comes in and says, hey, Taylor, we just want to verify. I found off your, you know, based off your phone number or you call into the IVR. Let's give you this example. Call in the IVR and it immediately does a lookup based off your call in or your phone number. Then it customizes it to you. Hey, Taylor, saw that you were calling regards to X, Y, and Z last time. Are you trying to reach us for that? Oh, no. Great. Oh, perfect. Can you tell us what you're calling in about? Okay. Is this in regards to residence Y? Okay. Yeah. How can we help you? Oh, you know what? We think based off of your choice, it's best to talk to an agent. Let's transfer you over. And when you transfer that, you send all of that information over, screen pop into whatever system you're utilizing. And even though you haven't talked to an agent yet, you're still getting that human touch. You know, So there's ways I think that, yes, we're going to see more adoption of bots, AI technology, and the ability to resolve this issues yourself with FAQ sites, with you know self-service IVRs and bots. But the more important aspect is people are becoming smarter about it, making plans and realizing that their data can make the decisions for them. And they're using that data not only to make decisions, but also improve that experience across the board. And I think it comes to the fact that we're talking contact center right now. And the conversation now isn't just, okay, when you call into the contact center IVR, this is your journey. That's a portion of the journey and that's critical. And this is where the biggest aspect I think comes in is the integrations. If you have a platform that's tough to integrate with, Premise platforms can be that in some situations. Vice versa, there's also some cloud platforms that make it difficult to integrate with. But an open REST-based application where you can integrate easily or has a bunch of connectors already, think about this. You can start to integrate with your marketing system. You can start to integrate with your CRM. You can start to integrate with maybe you have a third-party PBX because you want to maintain it from a depreciation perspective. You can bring in integrations to carriers that you already have relations with. Maybe you want an all-in-one solution that that's not as important. Maybe you want to take advantage of best of breed and have something that integrates with it. But the point is, then you can take tools such as customer journey analytics and look at not only the journey from a contact center perspective, but why did Taylor call into the IVR? What happened and caused leading up to that? What was the experience afterwards as well? And where are the gaps, not only in the contact center, but look at the customer journey holistically on the website. Afterwards with the follow-up, did they reach back out? How long did it take to get to the conclusion that they were driving for? And that's where the real power today is, making sure you have a system that clean data, that integrates, and then you have a data source tool or a visualization tool or a Power BI or a Tableau that connects with all these different systems to gather that data to give you a true customer journey across not only contacts and across website and different channels to say, hey, look, here's the true experience of why they call it in. And here's what happened afterwards too. So what does a contact center of the future look like to you? If we're we're still talking about that human touch is not going to go away, but self-serve is probably going to go up in demand. What else do you see in the future that's coming up? You know, I think I'll break it down in a couple of ways from feature set perspectives. You know, from an agent experience, I think in like an interaction experience, a customer experience, I think things are going to continue to evolve and have, you know, self-service tools available for them. So customers can interact in the channels that they want to and where it makes sense, AI comes in and assists and learns. Second, I think you're going to see contact center agents become even more trained than they've ever been. And at the same time, have more tools to leverage than they ever have. We talked about customer journeys being integrated. I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see the data that typically was 
you know, never present to agents start to be there, you know, always living in one screen with a screen pop with the ability to see a whole bot interaction or a whole IVR, have full customer availability and let it be known if their payment failed or if they were authenticated, agent assist, you know, at the same time coming in and updating them based off this, here's what I would recommend. Knowledge management tools and consistent feedback at the same time from the agent experience. I think it's critical for tools like gamification. Like I think those are future, especially from a workforce management perspective. Agents having impact or agents being able to choose when they want to work. You know, they're people too. So based off of, you know, different criteria, maybe it's AI powered options for working three hours here, four hours here and and getting your 40 hours a week based upon how your schedule works. I think you're going to see a lot of that with workforce management and moving into kind of that workforce management and quality management section. Like you're starting to see workforce management start to leverage AI and, and with that start to take into consideration more than just like a six or eight week span and really truly holistically look at all the data that's available to it and make recommendations based off of that. And I think the next iteration is going to even take it a step further and have forecasting in a continuous perspective. Meaning throughout the day, you could have triggers that are going to allow the algorithms to continuously run and make recommendations that you can manually choose or automatically choose and push those out to you know, not schedule on a day-by-day basis, but schedule maybe by an hour-by-hour basis. The AI and the tools are there. It's just about implementing and impacting. And then, you know, looking at a quality perspective, I think we're never going to go away from call recording, but transcription has changed the game and live transcription and real-time transcription is starting to. And I think what's going to change there and impact is organizations in the future are going to be able to realize, like, if you're picking out five interactions a week to evaluate of an agent, you can pick out their five best or five worst or right in between and never get a true understanding of where they're at. But with transcription and the different AI tools available, you can look at sentiment analysis. You can look at transcriptions. You can look at keywords and you can have algorithms based off of policies in place to say, hey, look, I only want to look at sentiment scores above this and below this. In between is good. Above is excellent. And I want to know who's hitting excellent. Below is negative, And we need to focus on those. Based upon that, you can then take keywords and look for, hey, like if we ever hear these, it needs to be evaluated. And then you can run auto evaluations on all of those interactions, not just some interactions or five interactions, all of them. And you can truly start to understand the trends and the issues and what's happening to truly impact and change not only your contact center agents who are looking for the feedback. They don't want just negative feedback. They want to understand what's positive. They understand what's working. They want to become better because when they can, your job's enjoyable as a contact center agent if you are successful with people. Simple as that. If they have a good experience, you have a good experience. So it will holistically use AI to continuously narrow the focus of the human intervention because the human intervention in my eyes is always going to be there. Like we need to, we're humans. You know, when we you know, call in, we want to talk to somebody sometimes. Everybody's different. Others don't. Like that's going to need to be there. At the same time, from an administration perspective, I think you are going to start to see things change a little bit more and start to use things like Terraform and CLI more and more and more to automate the back-end administration of contact center platforms. So you don't have to manually go into a UI. You don't have to code it out per se very heavily, but you can take these automation tools in place and truly impact at a high level, especially larger organizations or BPOs or things like that. You're starting to see where they're coming in 
having somebody who understands JSON, Java, Terraform, and they're able to build out stuff that should take six months and six weeks just by using and leveraging automation tools like that. And the other kicker is, you know, from a reporting and analytics perspective, and, and a lot of people do this today is, I think you're just going to start to see a focus on cleaner data. And that data is not only contact center, that's a portion of it, but data across the board to truly understand what's happening. Yeah. I love how you keep talking about data because episode two, we're all about the data and what the data can bring to you. So I love uh, tying everything together and showing our listeners that we're bringing one person in and talking about a subject matter expertise, but it also ties back to another subject matter expertise topic. Well, it's great. You can make decisions, especially in quick circumstances where you need to make something based off a gut, based off a field, based off previous experiences. But when you're holistically looking at improving or consistent improvements or overhauls or innovations, you have to have data. You know, you have to, if you build a self-service bot, and this is one of the tools that's coming in, like you build a self-service bot that you think is why customers call you and you go and find out that's 30% of the interactions that you get, you're going to be unsuccessful. The data doesn't lie if it's clean data. At the same time, there are going to be situations where you know, managers, administrators are going to be put on the spot and they have to understand and read the room. They have to understand what's happening. They have to understand from previous experience what to do. You know, I think there is a mix of both, but when you're looking at a holistic plan, like data has to be built in. That's such a key for making the right decision every time. So what are some of the quick wins that you think that anyone who's looking at a contact center optimization and the, the picture that you painted in terms of what it could look like with all the things that you could do, all the data that you could pull. What are some of like the the quick wins, quick things that they can implement right away in your perspective that they could see some kind of you know return quickly? You know, I think I'm going to highlight like three or four things here. You know, first off, if you're a VP or higher, go and sit with your contact center agent, see what they do, call in and experience it as a customer, go through that and understand what those processes are. And don't just do it once, do it on a regular basis. So you truly understand what's happening within the contact center so that you're not caught off guard when somebody comes to you and tells you about these issues. You know them and you can hopefully circumvent them. Vice versa, another kicker is let's talk about, you know, quick wins. Look at the data. Is the data clean? Is it representative? You know, a quick, easy way in the contact center to see if maybe there are struggles happening or or look at you know, the abandon rates and the transfer rates. If you look at abandons and transfers, especially from a call perspective, you have issues in your IVR probably, or you're not routing appropriately, or you're understaffed or overstaffed. So you can go in and look at that data. And if you can read it, if it's, you know, clean, then you can look at that and understand, hey, look, we're having issues here, such as in the IVR. Let's go and understand what those issues are. And then vice versa, use that data as well to look at why your customers are calling you, reaching out to you, and making sure that your self-service plan maps to that. So I think that's two. And then the third thing for me is once you do those things, find a way to make your agents happy. That's the easiest way. And if technology helps with that, listen to what they're looking for. You know, agents don't want to have to have three screens. They want to have a laptop in front of them and be able to work at their kitchen table like I'm talking to you now and be successful at it understand what their struggles are and find the tools that help them resolve those. You know, 
if they're consistently having poor experiences with customers, maybe it's because the customers have already authenticated in the IVR and that information is not passed over. And you need to have a PS engagement or a consultation with somebody on how to improve your IVR and how to integrate appropriately and pass that information over. If they're using multiple systems, Maybe there's a way you can integrate with an embedded client, a CTI adapter, or find a simpler way for that agent to operate. Or maybe they just don't have the information. Maybe it's building an onboarding program and training. Maybe it's getting tools such as agent assist. So to kind of go back to my three, I think one is to understand what your agents go through, to understand what your customers go through. Two is to look at the data and make data-driven decisions because the data doesn't lie if it's clean. And three is to improve that agent experience. You know, I, th- I truly think even though we're getting to more AI powered operations and, and I would love to say, go buy these tools, but your agents are everything. They are what make your contact center successful. And not only your agents, but your managers too. You know, make sure they all have the tools. They're trained, they feel comfortable, they're excited. And, and you know, that's the quickest impact I think you can have. Then once you have that consistent base in place, Let's start talking about the tools and how we can integrate what you know future you'd like to build towards and build out a plan for that. Awesome. All right. So I promised a quirky question for you and we're towards the end of our time together. I know you said you're a motorhead and you're near the Indy 500. Is that what I'm... Yep. Is that correct? I know nothing about it, but are you a Formula One fan by any chance as well? Did you jump I, on that bandwagon because jumped- of the Netflix series like everyone else? I didn't jump on it because of the Netflix series, actually. I started watching it back when Fernando Alonso, a former F1 champion, came over and started racing in the Indianapolis 500 back in like 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. And when he came over, it was a huge buzz in Indianapolis. I started to get into it then, started watching it, and I started reading about it and stuff like that. And and actually, before Drive to Survive on Netflix, there was a Amazon documentary series on Fernando Alonso's you know time yes. at McLaren. And McLaren is also they have shops here in Indianapolis, but they're also an IndyCar team too. So that's actually what got me into it. And I actually haven't watched like the last three seasons of Drive to Survive. I watch more of stuff on YouTube, F1 TV. I have books I read and podcasts. So I'm like huge open wheel. IndyCar is probably my favorite. Formula One. I even watch NASCAR. Go to stuff. I'll go to. I'm actually going to a track tonight for a buddy's birthday to go to a race. So, but yes, the answer is yes. I do love Formula One as well. Yeah, I am a Formula One lover. We had IndyCar come to Nashville for the first time last year. That was really exciting for us. I'll be at the race this year. I was at oh, last year's you? too. Yep. Then I guess we should meet up. Absolutely. For sure. I've been a Formula One fan since I was younger because of Ayrton Senna and, and I'm Brazilian. So you you kind of, it's football and Formula One down there. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I'm getting acquainted. There's a nice learning curve within IndyCars and um, NASCAR and all that stuff. <laughs> you got Elio Castro Neves, Tony Canan, some of the biggest names in IndyCar from Brazil. And vice versa today in F1. I don't know. Do you have any high-end Brazilians? I think Emerson Fittipaldi is probably the closest. Yeah, Not we Emerson, haven't had any son. Brazilians. I'm a full supporter of Ocon. He's my favorite because he's a steady six, seven, eight. That is his where he stays and where he That's finishes. <laughs> I love but he Ricardo. finishes. <laughs> I love Ricardo. I'm a huge Daniel Ricardo fan. Even if he goes and drives in a Williams and finishes last every week, I like him. I think it's a love-hate relationship I have with him right now. I'm on towards the hate part. So I, I can't say I, I feel the same, but no, this, this has been fun. I do have one last question. Any okay. additional recommendations, tips, 
final thoughts that you want our listeners to, to think about? You know, final thoughts for me are, I've hit on a lot of the same trends today. And I don't think anything we've talked about is truly you know, mind-blowing. I think most good leaders and most good contact centers already have a lot of this in play today, but it's good conversation stuff. And I'm always interested in learning about what our customers do, what other customers do, what's in the market. So, you know, feel free to connect with me, reach out, you know, ask me any questions, vice versa. I love having talks with Joe as well. He's very knowledgeable, but you know, the big thing is just don't be scared to try something. You know, it seems so cliche to say, but if the data tells you that this is happening and you want to test something out, do it. Try it with a specific team. Try an IVR out for a little bit. Pull it back if the results aren't there, but always be willing to take that risk, that opportunity to trial something out, to listen to others or information that comes from other places. Because I'm a person that came from a journalism background and works in a technical you know, position that I shouldn't be in. I think there's a lot of people with really good you know, opinions or recommendations that you know, often get swept under the rug. So that'd be the biggest thing for me. Perfect. And I will add your LinkedIn to the show notes so people cool. can follow you, connect, ask questions, clarifications, or anything else that you may have mentioned during the podcast. Awesome. All righty. Well, thanks for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate you all having me on and love to be back. All righty. Bye. Bye.